This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, so uh, what we've done this weekend, we've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? We've uh, this picture of a tree. Uh, We have made our way from the heat. So we've looked at our life and circumstances and our response to them. So remember we said it's really important to pay attention to what God is doing, to your story. Everyone at some point should be able to piece together the story of what God has done and is doing. Pay attention. Then we've looked at the roots, what shapes your life, what you feed on, the way that you live. And we've talked a little bit about that should happen in life on life. So it should happen in sort of one anothering, but also through sort of appropriate spiritual disciplines. Remember I said be intentional with the spiritual disciplines. Don't just do anything and everything, but rather think of the person God wants to make you to be and do the things appropriate to get to that place. Then last night we talked about the heart. Remember the heart is the place of transformation. It was a beautiful night last night as we talked about your identity. And we just took one aspect of who you are in Christ and that your, your, your sons, that doctrine of sonship. And we talked a bit about emotional health and we dived a little bit into uh, sort of lies and truth. And that is something that I really hope stays with you personally, but also in your life together, where you ask each other, what are the lies we're believing about God and the gospel? And what's the truth? And making sure you bring that out into the light. We obviously referred to the cross through all of this. and But particularly, we talked about the father last night and who he really is and his incredible love for all of us. And this last session, we're going to finish with the fruit. This is what a disciple maker actually looks like. So if you allow all those processes to be at work, then naturally by the Holy Spirit, it produces a certain sort of life. And we're going to finish with uh, the life of mission. And this final session, I want to give you some very practical tools at how to live out the fruit of heart change, which is everyday mission. And I love the way Howard put it this morning, changed hearts, change the world. I mean, it's just great. Changed hearts, change the world. The more Christ-like you are, the better at mission you'll become. And so uh, I know in our church at Mosaic, uh, right from the get-go, I, I just knew that we wanted mission sort of in the foundation. But I tell you, it is very hard to have mission as a vibrant, active, real thing in the church. My, uh, It took two years before we saw the first person become a Christian. Uh, we baptized this PhD student uh, at one of our first meetings uh, all we had back then was a paddling pool. We didn't have a fancy swim pool. I heard someone else got baptised in a paddling pool. Here? Anyone? Great. So we had a proper paddling pool with fishes on the side of it. And this poor guy um, with his parents, non-Christian parents, came to the service. And it was, it was this deep. Fishes on the outside. We filled it as much as possible two things went wrong. I baptised the guy and because it was so shallow, I clonked his head. In my eagerness to get him right under the water, I clonked his head on the concrete floor. And then as he was down, he suddenly realised that the water came roughly up to about here because it wasn't deep enough. So he had to swish around in the water to get the water going for like full immersion and I can just remember like he was in the water squirming like an eel and I looked up at his parents and this horrified look on their face like what is this cult that um and then 
soon afterwards, uh, some stories started to emerge as people had faithfully given themselves to, I guess, sort of friendship evangelism, investing people they love. We had one guy called Mike who was uh, a sort of typical student who didn't really want to come to church. Uh, he'd lived with one of the girls that came to Mosaic for a couple of years and uh, she'd invited him probably every Sunday uh, of her student life. And right in his final year, she invited him. And for some reason, he said yes. Uh, but he literally said, if anyone tells me that Jesus loves me, I will punch them in the face. And he was fairly like, aggressive. And so he came. I don't think anyone told him or he didn't punch anyone. But off the back of coming on a Sunday, he came to Alpha. And we were just doing it in my home, and he was the like nightmare alpha person. So I would give all these convincing arguments for Christianity. And he was a pretty smart lad, and he would come up with all these brilliant arguments against what I'd just said. So I'd won the room, and then he would speak, and everyone would be like, yeah, what he said, what he said. But on the final, uh, right near the end of Alpha, you, we sort of would do the Holy Spirit Day, where we would teach on the person work of the Holy Spirit. And I remember at the end, uh, we probably had about five or six non-Christians in the room, including Mike, and we um, taught the Holy Spirit, and then we sort of prayed, invited the Holy Spirit to come. The team, there was two or three of us, went and prayed for all the non-Christians, and then we were done. But all these five, six people were still sat in their armchairs, just quietly, arms closed, and hands out. And we just sensed God's here, and we don't... You know, we've prayed all our best prayers. We're done. So we went off and all had a cup of tea in the kitchen. And we left them all just sort of in the presence of God. And Mike, as we left the room, he prayed his first ever prayer. And he said, God, if you're real, if you're really out there, you need to reveal yourself to me now. He says, don't want to believe because Matt told me or any you need to reveal yourself to me and then suddenly he got two numbers in his head and the numbers were 17 and 3 and in hindsight uh, he was doing maths at university and God uses sort of the language he spoke to speak to him 17 and 3 and so he's like, 17-3, 17-3. And he looks down, and on his lap is a Bible we've given him. And we've obviously just done Acts 2. We've done Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's like, 17-3, 17 verse 3. And he's like, oh, Acts 17 verse 3. He turns to it. And this after praying, God, if you're real, you need to reveal yourself to me. Acts 17 verse 3 says, this Christ, sorry, this Jesus who we're proclaiming to you is the Christ. And it's like... <laughs> Oh my gosh. And he comes in, rushes into the kitchen. He said, you would not believe it. And then he went home and looked up every 17 verse 3 in the whole Bible just to check it wasn't a fix. And, uh, and he became a Christian and became a youth worker and just great. Amazing stuff. I love Mike's story. It's a great story. But it begins with Alex. Alex was the student who lived with him for three years, who on a weekly basis invited him to church, took on all the knockbacks and all the disappointments of him not coming and was faithful. Uh, she understood that in the heart of every Christian is a call to be a missionary. Uh, you know, the word, that, that the actual word that uh, is used for mission comes from the Latin word to be sent or sending. And being a follower of Jesus means that we are sent into the world and Jesus says it in John 20 verse 21 very famous words as the father sent me I'm sending you and so we're all called to be missionaries but my experience at Mosaic in most churches are we all like yep okay I'm up for that but in reality it's really difficult it's frustrating and we don't quite know how to do it often and we feel very depowered and this session, again, is going to be super practical. I'm going to hopefully give you some things that you can take away with you that will empower you to actually be the missional people you really want to be. So let me give you five things that you guys have got to share uh, with those that don't know Jesus. Number one, you've got your friendships. 
You've got your friendships. The idea is Matthew 6, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The encouragement is to live distinct lives among unbelievers and they will see our good deeds and they will glorify God. And that's why our work yesterday feeds so nicely into what we're talking about today. See, the work we did yesterday is not about you just becoming a nicer person, but it's, it's, it's rather your pursuit of Christ-likeness is God's strategic plan for world evangelization. Those things go together. It's not like it's, they're separate entities, but they flow naturally and normally into mission. The problem is, how do people get close enough to us to actually see the change that's happened in our hearts? Because the reality is many of us lo- have lots of colleagues and acquaintances and people that are perhaps in the same season of life, perhaps mums at school, that we spend hours and hours with actually during the week, but we totally miss each other at a deeper level. So you have geographical proximity but emotional, but no emotional proximity. So you're with people a lot, but they don't actually get to see you. Closeness in relationships only happen when people gain an understanding of the things or the hobbies or the preferences or the hopes and dreams that bind them actually together. So building friendship is all about finding the passions and the, and the interests and the preferences that you have and then pursuing them with people that aren't Christians. So my sister became a Christian five years ago. So I come from a non-Christian family and she was literally at the school gate waiting for, to pick up her kids and a lady from the local New Frontiers Church uh, on the south coast befriended her and just started chatting to her and they found they had things in common and it was out of that friendship that she got invited to an Alpha course, and it was on Alpha that she discovered the claims of Christ, and it was at a meeting where her son got touched by the Holy Spirit, that she gave her life to the Lord, and that whole family have come to Christ, which is amazing for, you know, for me and my, when I had no idea how God was going to touch my family, but again, it started with my sister, Sam, finding someone with similar passions and interests, and then getting close enough to actually share those things together. Our failure as Christians is often about ceasing to be interested in anything other than the church. So people will want to be your friends if you share the same passions and pursuits. And if your sole passion and pursuit is revolving around the church, you will be of no interest to people because you have no interests. And so it's about finding what you're actually interested in doing and then making sure you do it outside of the church. So let me help you a little bit. I've got three questions here. Uh, I want you to do this in pairs. So if you had a completely free day, no urgent jobs, just imagine that. A completely free day, no urgent jobs, what would you do? Keep it to yourselves at the moment. You're going to share this with your pairs. If you went to a large bookshop, what section do you end up browsing in? And you're not allowed the Christianity section. And if offered tickets to any show, concert, film, exhibition, match, lecture, what would you ask for and why? And then Howard will buy it for you. Will you? No, you won't. What is your passion? Okay, so in pairs, can you answer these three questions? Give it a go. Twos and threes. You've got five on your own. Do you want to just uh, bring things back? You're going to get a chance to chat in just a moment again. 
So the things that you talked about, let's just do, um, if you were offered tickets to anything, what would you ask for? Let's just get a cross-section of where this church would go. To an Arsenal game? Yeah, I'll go with you. Yeah, musical. Athletics final. Beatles tribute band. Rugby. Southampton Boat Show. What's that? Matt Redmond. Coldplay. Hereford Cheltenham football. Would anyone be there? Right. That's allowed as long as you're going with someone that doesn't come to church. No? Okay, hand them in. Hand them in. (laughs) So listen, the idea, it's just very practical this, but the idea is that when you know the sort of things that you like doing and you're you're identifying your preferences, your passions, and you're meant to maximise those things by making sure you're finding an outlet for them with people that don't come to church. It's the easiest form of evangelism. You know, a great question to ask the church is, you know, if you've come in from perhaps a really crazy day at work or you've been with the kids all day or whatever it is, it's seven o'clock and the phone goes and someone is inviting you to do something. What is the thing you you would actually want to do at that point? So for me, if I get a phone call inviting me to play five-side football or something like that, I'm like, I'm ready. I'm suddenly energized. And so, I know it's surprising. Yeah. Thanks. What's she saying? I would expect that reaction if I said knitting or something, but thank you. You guys are obviously feeling very relaxed around me. Yeah. <laughs> So what is that thing? And then the idea, obviously, is you make room for that. So let's just talk about can you make room for it? Um, Here's the next set of questions. Okay, sorry about the justification and all that. How many hours do you spend with unbelievers during a normal week? So in a minute, I want you to tot it up, okay? Secondly... What do they know of your faith? There's groans as I'm asking these questions. Thirdly, who are the people you find easiest to chat to about your, how your faith impacts your daily life? And why is that? And you can't say, you can't say Christians. Like, who are the unbelievers that are around you that you find easiest to chat to and why? And what are the needs around you that you could do something about? So I'm going to give you a little bit longer on that, okay? No one's looking very happy about this. So in the same pairs, ask each other these questions. Give you a bit longer. Okay, um, two things just want to draw from this. What was, actually before I do that, just a quick reflection, when you totted up the number of hours you spend around people that aren't Christians, what did you find? 45, 30, about that? Less than five. Okay, very little. Three hours. Okay, the, the point is, if you're, you know, thinking I've got only a few hours each week, it's going to be a little bit of a provocation. If you're saying I've got 30 to 40 hours plus a week, it's also meant to be a provocation. Because you've got geographical proximity, but perhaps you're, you haven't got the emotional proximity. Because the idea is people have got to be close enough to see the work of God in your life. And it's so easy to miss each other and just have lots of acquaintances. And we need to be intentional about friendship making. And for the people that have less hours, we're jealous that we want all those hours 
and, uh, and perhaps if you had less hours, you would see that time, you'd use it a bit more wisely. A couple of things. Friendship, it takes a long time. And I know we're finding more and more people that are coming to Christ that have no Christian background whatsoever. So I can remember working at British Gas, I was brought into a conversation. They said, Matt, Matt, come over. It's about 20 people all in a circle. They were talking about Christmas and Easter and nobody knew the difference. Like no one knew the difference between Christmas and Easter. And they said, Matt, what's the difference? And, uh, and I was like, I don't know either, but yeah. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, we're dealing with people that are just way off. They're not just, they're not coming back to church. They've never been to church. And therefore that journey that people often go on is quite a long one. I know in a, a very sort of, I guess, underprivileged area of Leeds that we've been working in now for six years, uh, some people in the church moved in. And uh, six years ago, some of them have bought houses. They've set up a community. It's about 20 people living in that community. It's, it's taken six years for us to see, through all the friendship making that's gone on during that time, the first person come to Christ. And we've just seen them come to Christ. And now his sister's just come to Christ as well. And we're praying that hopefully that momentum will continue. The idea there is six years' worth of investment. A lot of time. We're trusting that fruit will come. And so for some of you, it's going to be a long-haul journey with some of your friends. But you need, to, you need to be sowing the seeds of the gospel and praying they find good soil. Um, it's so important, this conversation to have in church, and I'd, I'd encourage you to follow up in your threes. The stats are still what brings people to church. Everything is weighted towards friendship evangelism. Like, very few people walk through the door. Like, we had a girl come to Mosaic two weeks ago because she saw something on YouTube. She became a Christian watching something on YouTube, never been in the church, and she sort of came on Sunday and said, I've watched this thing, want to know Jesus, can you help? We're like, yeah, great, awesome. But that is super, super rare. Generally speaking, it's through this. We had a girl come to church once uh, because she was... It was, it was our Christmas service, and she was showing, her friend at work said, oh, I want to go to church this, uh, this Christmas. Can you look on the internet for carol services? She Googled Christmas carol services leads, and then she got the page back, and for some reason, at the top of the list was Mosaic. She clicked on Mosaic, then her computer screen froze. And the girl who's doing the search, not a Christian, was left looking at the Mosaic webpage for about an hour till the technical guy came. And ironically, that following Sunday, the woman she was looking out for didn't come, didn't come to the church, but she did. Her name's Lucy. And she heard the gospel for the first time at a Christmas carol service. It literally stayed behind afterwards, sat down with someone and prayed the prayer of commitment. And she now went to be part of our church plant in West Leeds. So it does happen, and I love those stories. They are great stories. But the reality is 75 to 90% of people will come to Christ through your friendships. So relationships key. Okay, so first of all, you've got your friendships to share. Secondly, you've got your life lessons. So 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So I wonder, what has God taught you so far? Even if you've only been a Christian a short time, or you're still on that journey of faith, what has God taught you or shown you? Like, here's some starter questions to get you going. What has God taught me from failure? or from pain, or sorrow, or depression, or from waiting, or from illness, or disappointment, or lack of money, or your family, friends, and relationships, or your critics. You see, if you can think of more categories, that's great, but the point is to know what God has taught you, because it will help you with your daily walk with God, and it will also help those that are discovering God. People want to know, what difference does it make being a Christian? 
And this, is, this feeds into yesterday, paying attention and knowing your story. If you just sort of say, well, being a Christian means I go to church on a Sunday, I'm part of a small group, I'm in this community, that's not a great sell. That sounds like busyness and hard work. But if you can talk about the deeper things that God has done in your life, then people get to see the gospel at work in you. So listen, you're not going to have any preparation in two. I need you in twos. Is everyone in twos? And I want you to number yourself one and two. Have you done that? You've got to look at each other to do that. Tom hasn't got anyone. Tom and Theo, could you be together? Or are you going there? Oh, you're there. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, I had to... Okay, number twos, you're going to go first. And number one is going to ask you this question. You have one minute to answer, okay? And then the conversation is going to move on. The question is, what difference has being a Christian made to your life? So number two, ask number one that question. Sorry, number one, ask number two that question. And you have got a minute to answer. And remember, uh, that list of things, I'm after a little bit of depth here. Ready, steady, go. Go. Five, four, three, two, one. You're done. Say thank you very much. That's very interesting. To num- <laughs> okay, number twos. You get to ask the same question to number ones. Ready, steady, go. Five, four, three, two, one. Say something encouraging. Yeah, well done. <laughs> You're a few bit like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> okay, um, give me some feedback. How did you find that? Good. Initially difficult, and you found your feet as you started talking. Anything else? Any other... Okay, so that's important that even the language you use to describe God's work in your life, we have lots of phrases and words that do not make any sense if you're not in the church. Okay, anything else? Yes? Yeah, that's right. So this is where paying attention to your life is really important. So you're not just telling stories 5, 10, 15, 20 years old, but you're telling sort of actively now, what is God doing now? And how is he impacting your life? How's the gospel changing you? It's great. Anything else? Yes, okay. So did you hear that? It's hard if you've been a Christian all your life. It's quite hard because there's less of a contrasting story to tell. But I actually think this is, this is a really good way to do it because you will still have areas of your life that God has broken in on and changed and healed and, and relationships that are different because of your faith. And, and so I would encourage you to think of some answers. You know, think of things. You get, don't you, in friendships. It's literally out of the blue, someone will just say, oh, you went to church on Saturday. Why did you go? And you don't want to talk about church, do you? You want to talk about Jesus. You want to talk about the gospel and what he's done. And culturally, we're very safe talking about the Sunday thing. And actually, for most people, that is not something they want to go to. I mean, most stats say two-thirds of the UK population are not interested in attending a church service. Like, no interest at all. And that number is just growing. But we, in our witnessing, we often talk about the Sunday we talk about, we go to church, and would you like to go to church? And I think a lot more of our friendship evangelism needs to be about the person of Jesus and his work in our life. Um, 
if you just join these dots in terms of what God's done to change you, finding what your passions are and the time that you spend with non-Christians, you should be able to start to find a way that is sort of normal and natural for you to witness. So my wife is trained to be a midwife. A a lot of people, because she's a mature student, she gets in a lot of conversations where people say, what did you do before? She's learnt now, what she says is, she says marriage counselling. So she used to work for Mosaic Church. She's, you do loads of pastoral stuff. But the thing she really loved was sort of sitting with couples and talking about getting them ready for marriage and married life. And, but she knows that it's a real sweet spot for her with her friends. Because as soon as they hear, oh, she did a bit of marriage counselling, they want to talk about their relationships with her. And she's brilliant at having those conversations. And obviously she talks about it's quite embarrassing actually. She talks about art, marriage, an awful lot. And so when I meet her friends, I'm like, yeah, I'm the guy, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but for her, she, you know, she naturally normally can bring her faith into how we deal with our marriage and grow our marriage. And she then, that's a platform for her. For me, like, uh, so I, I'm part of a squash league and I play with lots of non-Christians and I will always ask the people I play squashes, what will you do? What do you do for a living? And they tell me and they always say, what do you do? And for me, it's, that's my window. I say, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a church minister. Never, ever thought I would be doing that, but something amazing happened to me. And I just put that out there. And I wait for that, what happened? If there's nothing, then I just know, okay, they, they, I'm, not, I'm not scratching where they're itching at all. But often that, I'm, I ask them, I'm sort of putting a little bit out there and see if they'll respond to it. And it's great for me, I literally have 10 minutes after a game to get in and get out. And these guys, I, I, I'm now I'm playing for the second and third time. And they're like, oh yeah, you're the church leader guy. And, and someone said to me, oh yeah, I thought Christians weren't going to be competitive or anything. And... <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I obviously don't pray that they will win. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I love squash. I'll play any time, you know. I, you know, for me, it's just easy because I work for the church. It's like an obvious in and I don't want to pressurize people. So I've just learned if I put something out there, like a little hook, that opens up a conversation. You guys will have your own things. And it's worth thinking about them uh, and how they work out in your friendships. Can you see, it's just getting a little bit more intentional about probably so many of you are doing this already, but it's giving it a little bit of a boost. We're nearly out of time, so let me just do the, the let's make this the last one, uh, your, your lifestyle. What do you have to share? You have your friendships, you have sort of where God's been at work in your lives, uh, but you've also got your lifestyle. 1 Peter 2 verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So your lifestyle is a very powerful form of evangelism. If we do not practice what we preach, then people will not listen to us. Is that right? And if people know you're a Christian, they are watching you like a hawk. They are waiting for you to mess up. And they want to see what difference does your faith make in your life. I heard a story, she's not from our church, of a teacher who, for her, she wanted to make a difference in the workplace and she knew that the staff room was a a nightmare place. There was loads of bickering and arguing and infighting. And most of it was to do with the communal fridge. People stealing each other's stuff. And so what she did was she decided every Monday she was going to buy six pints of milk and put it in the communal fridge. And she just said it totally changed the atmosphere in the staff room. Because no one was stealing each other's milk. Suddenly there was milk there for everyone. And it's like a really silly thing, small thing. But I love that story because it's very doable. You know, it's, it's, a, it's somewhere to start. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle issue. I'm sure at some point someone will see her putting the six pints of milk in the fridge and say thank you. It's a little thing, but our lifestyle matters. 
Uh, We have a girl who used to work in a design agency, and when she moved on from her job, the boss said, we really don't want you to go, will you stay? And she said, no, it's time for me to move on. He said, if you go, we feel as a company we will lose our moral compass. Please stay. And she said, well, no, I've got another job lined up. Thank you so much. And he said, listen, if there's anyone else from Mosaic Church that wants a job, we will, if they're like you, we will give them the job. And so she told her friend who was looking for a job at Mosaic, and she's now got the job. And I tell you, I can remember about four or five years ago preaching and saying, I want in the city, when people see on people's CVs Mosaic Church, I want employers to think, we'll have that person. Because they're faithful in the workplace, they do their job well, and they're brilliant to have around. Um, we have a, a, another couple of teachers that... Uh, Five years ago, uh, a guy got a job in an Anglican school and his sole purpose was to take over the RE department and give the gospel to every child. So that's what he did. He became head of department. He recruited his wife, who was also a teacher. He recruited two other people from Mosaic Church. They were the RE department. They changed the curriculum so every child had to read the Gospel of Luke as part of what they did. And they chose who they had in for all the um, assemblies. And they made sure they had people come in, preach a clear gospel message. And over the last five years, they've seen about 16 children become Christians and then get plugged into the local Anglican church that's doing a great job looking after them. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? That's, there's a woo there. It's so exciting. I mean, seriously, that, you know, if you're a teacher or involved in education, that's living the dream, isn't it? That's like an incredible, incredible story. Fascinatingly, the last two years at that school, the head has changed, the management team has changed, and it is the most horrible place for them to be at the moment. They're still seeing kids come to Christ, but the persecution is massive. They are living this 1 Peter 2. They're really in it. This was written to a church that was struggling with persecution. And yet, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And they're living right in the middle of that. So listen, just think about your everyday life. Walk the same routes at the same times. Get a dog. If you're struggling meeting people, these guys, I know I've got a dog, we've got a dog. I mean, people chat to you. It's incredible. You're suddenly safe. It's like having a baby. Like you, see, People think, oh, you're a trustworthy person. Because you have a baby. You know, when you have a newborn baby, everyone comes and talks to you, don't they? And it's the same with, uh, with having a dog. And people talk to your dog first, and then they talk to you. <laughs> and then you get in a conversation. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. <laughs> That's right. They don't know your name. They know your dog's name. Yeah. And... Um, the, the, the everydayness of life, get the same train at the same time. Try and sit in the same place and engage with the people around you. Go to the same cashier. I, at Sainsbury's, uh, when we lived in our old house, I used to always go and have a great conversation with the cashier because I was in every week. And so I got to know her name, got to know her family. She got to know about mine and just every week just because I just knew it was something I'd be doing for years is going shopping. Hang out in the front garden. So socially, back gardens are private, front gardens are public. And so if you're in the front garden, it's a signal to your neighbours that you're available to talk. So I know some people that have put like benches in their front gardens and they put seating so they can sit outside on a Saturday afternoon with their kids playing instead of going to the privacy of the back. They're in the front so they can see all the people walking to and fro or they clean their car every week so they can just engage with their neighbours because people are often very, very private, aren't they? But if you're in your front garden, you can talk. Um, tip generously. Uh, open your home. If you move house, you, you guys are fairly young, you will move house many, many times. Every time you move, throw a party. Have an open house. Get round, bet people around for mulled wine and mince pies at Christmas. Do a little Easter egg hunt for the kids in the back garden. Invite the kids from your street. You know, there's loads and loads of ways that you can demonstrate a different way of living 
with the people that you come in contact with. Uh, I spend most of my week at Starbucks. Uh, it's right next to our church offices. We have communal offices, so it's impossible to get any work done. And I go there and prepare my, my sermons and all that sort of thing. And I get to know the staff really, really well. And we decided, uh, as a family, we were going to sort of try and befriend the staff. And so every time a staff member uh, leaves, we bake a big cake, we go in and make a big sort of deal of them, and we thank them for all they've done. And six months ago, one of the deputy managers came up to me and said, no one knows yet, but just so you know, I'm leaving in four weeks' time. (laughs) 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 And it's like, well, you know what? privilege that, that, that no one even knew and uh, we knew what was going on behind the scenes and uh, and it means an awful lot to them I went in last Friday on my day off because a guy Mikey was leaving and he'd been a great great sort of guy to have have loads of conversations with and on the Monday I came in and the whole team said you know we just we realized it was your day off you came in with your kids Micah was really touched. And I don't know what's going to happen to him, but I definitely want him to know if there's Christians in Starbucks, we are good news. You know, we're a pleasure to have. And we want to be the best customers. And you guys have all those opportunities as well. Countercultural lifestyle, sex, money and power, they're the big things. How are you doing with sex? Like, Are you avoiding our culture's idolisation of sex and you know, are you celebrating sex in the context of marriage? In money, we promote radical, generous community living. And do people look at your lives and think, this is a generous person with their time, with their finances, with their gifts? And in power, are you committed to power sharing and relationship building between races and classes, people that are alienated in our society? Do you welcome the stranger in, into the body of Christ? Do we treat power differently? In, in all these things, the church must be deeply committed to deeds of compassion and love, social justice, committed to evangelism and conversion, one last story and then we'll finish. We had... Uh, okay. Thanks. Okay. Um, a few years back, we moved our church into the red light district. Some of you are like, oh no, Howard's up for me talking. I can just talk to Howard if you want to go, that's fine. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, our church moved... Yeah, this is seven years ago. We moved into the red light district of Leeds and we had a big warehouse. God provided miraculously a builder who did all the work for free inside this warehouse to renovate it. But we knew that if we were going to be there, we needed to commit ourselves to the people there. And uh, we began to work with a charity that worked with some of the girls who were involved in the sex industry. And uh, we got to know them a little bit. And then we heard this story, uh, which totally blew us away. Uh, There was a lawyer who was working in the city centre, and she felt convicted, basically, to do something for poor people. And she found this charity online, and they were looking for volunteers. And she said, I will go one evening a week and volunteer with this project, which basically gives tea and coffee to prostitutes. And so she went along and she met a girl uh, who was in the sex industry and she spent the evening with her. And this girl said to her, oh, um, would you come to church to me, with me on Sunday? Because when I was out on the street, uh, a girl from Mosaic Church gave me her coat middle of winter uh, she gave me her coat and I would like to go to the church to say thank you and this lady who's a lawyer was like that's the last thing I want to do I don't want to go to church and I don't want really to go with, her, with you but anyway she says alright let's meet 10 o'clock here Sunday morning and I'll go with you she turns up the lawyer turns up at 10 and basically the girl just doesn't show whatsoever so the lawyer is like I'm up I'm right next to the church. I might as well go in. She comes in. And it's just one of those God moments where in the next couple of weeks, 
she discovers Christ, she comes to Christ, she brings her teenage kids, her teenage kids come to Christ. Beautiful, beautiful story. And what I love about it is that her story is a prostitute invited me to church. The prostitute story is someone gave me a coat. And we can all give our coats away. We can all do those simple things in our lifestyle. And who knows where the fruit will will be found. And I love that story as well because it demonstrates what the church is to be about. I don't quite know how it looks for you, but you must not forget as a church a vital element in your mission is to those that are on the outskirts or the edges of society, whatever shape or form they are, people different from the majority of you. And my guess is that that will become clear in the next six to 12 months, like more and more where you're to put your energy. And already you guys have got some stories of how that is happening in your family. But my hope is there'll be more. The best thing about churches under 100 people, wherever you go around the world, the best thing about churches under 100 people has got to be the community life. That is always the reason people stick around. I've asked nearly all of you the question, like, why did you stick? And all of you have said, I felt loved here. I've made friends here. I felt welcomed in. Someone bothered to ring me. I got a text after I visited on Sunday. I feel like I've made some of my best friends here. I feel safe here. You know, oh, you've all, that's what you've all said. So well done, pat yourselves on the back. But that is your best thing. The fact that you have got a wonderful sense of family. And as Theo and I have engaged with you, we feel the momentum that you're building as well as a church. And the momentum cannot stay just in the community. But the natural fruit of Jesus being at the heart of your family is that you become a family to those that don't have one. And my hope is uh, that you find out what it is you can do individually to contribute to this thing. Um, Let's finish with this question. In your twos, Theo, I think we've got this on point four. I want you to ask your other person, what is your passion? What problem, person, purpose, principle or group of people does God make your heart burn about? Like if there's a pet issue in you that's not come out yet, if there's a cause, if there's just a thing that you feel, so you speak to some people and they're like, the church has got to be a family. Or I just, anyone that is from another country, I just love internationals. You know, what is your thing? And if you don't have a thing, what do you think you need to do to get a thing? Like, no one's nodding at all. Like, am I asking a bad question? Abby, Abby's encouraged me. You're just thinking. Okay. Do you want a little bit longer to think? In your twos? Do you want to talk about this? Oh yeah, we've got kids. 
Thank you. Okay, 30 seconds. Okay, well done. Listen, in a couple of weeks' time, I want you to find the person that you just shared with and I want you to ask them, what are you doing about your passion? I wonder what their passion is. Okay, do you understand to your feet? I want to pray for you as we finish. Okay, do you just close your eyes for a moment? Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful for all that you've done in these last few days. Thank you. A great hope is that we would return as different people, uh, that you would kiss us on the forehead and wake us up, that we would be that restored fireplace shining uh, your light uh, to the town of Cheltenham. Lord, thank you so much for answering our prayers. Thank you so much for the, the work in our hearts that you have been doing. But I do pray, God, that you would make this church much more than just a nice, cosy family, And I celebrate all the community that I can just sense and see here. But God, please make this a missional community. Make this a family on mission together. Make this sort of about a church that really is a light that all, so that all can see and all may come to know Jesus. God, all that you've uh, putting us as a church at Mosaic and the lessons we've learned, the struggles we've had, um, but the, the victories of people coming to know Jesus. God, I pray that the blessing that we've experienced would be uh, poured out, increased, doubled on this church in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray the stories will start to come. I pray the baptisms will start to come of people that have come to know Jesus through the friendships and the passions of people in the room. Lord, we long for people to come to know Jesus and we just say, let us be your hands and feet. No more just praying for it to happen and not getting involved. No more just wishing that others would invite their friends and not inviting people ourselves. Lord, I pray for courage to sort of put our faith out there into the public domain and I pray for patience and endurance to keep going for the long haul. Father in heaven, we pray, put mission right into the very fabric and foundation of this church. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.